0: You didn't need to make it super long, but you needed to make it as long as it needed to be to fully answer someone's question so that they don't go back to Google looking for more answers. It completely blew up, and that was sort of what took my personal site from 800 to 1,000 visitors a day to 10,000 plus visitors a day. We worked together and got the app built, and we launched that in spring 2016, so it's been out for three and a half years. And basically every month since then, it's netted anywhere from like two to seven, thousand dollars a month just from like the organic traffic going from those articles. Welcome to Yarrow's podcast, where you'll discover the stories behind world class performers, business builders and enlightened leaders.
1: Can you believe it? This podcast started in the year 2005. It was one of the very first interview podcasts ever published and I've loved doing it ever since the very start. However, the most important thing to me is the fact that you're here listening to my show. It means a lot to me. I put a lot of work into this and it's all for you. Now, whether you're a long-term listener or perhaps this is the first episode you've ever downloaded, make sure you subscribe if you have not done so already. It's easy to do. Just open up an app on your phone or perhaps your computer, wherever you listen to podcasts. Could be Apple or Google, Spotify, YouTube. And just click that subscribe button and you'll get all my latest episodes as I release them. Thanks again for listening. Hi, this is Yarrow, and welcome to another podcast interview. Today on the line, I have Nat Eliason, who's joined me to talk about Well, I hope a couple of businesses. I've only just recently learned about Nat. In particular, I was curious because he has a business selling services called Growth Machine, and we're going to find out a bit about that. But he's also got another business that he's a co-founder of that sells tea online called Cup & Leaf Tea. So I love an entrepreneur who has a combination of, I guess, like an agency service business, but they also are doing things in, I guess you could say, almost completely different niches. So uh, I love that combination, love to hear more about both businesses. So Nat, welcome. Welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, thanks so much. I'm excited to be here.
1: So I am only just touching on on what your businesses do. Do you want to give us a little, you know, a bit more a deep dive? Are you full-time on both companies? How big are they? Are we talking multi-million dollar hundred people companies or more like lifestyle businesses? What are they?
0: Yes. So I'm very full-time on Growth Machine. That's really my, my full-time thing, which is a SEO-focused marketing agency. Uh, we've got about 11 full-time people. We're going to do about 2 million in revenue this year. So that gives you a rough sense of the size of it. And that's where the vast majority of my time goes. And then Cup & Leaf Tea is a company that originally started as just a kind of side project blog within Growth Machine, blog about tea. And then as the tea blog got more popular, my now wife and I said, hey, you know, we're getting all of these people reading about tea on this tea blog. Maybe we should start selling tea. And so she and I figured that out and she kind of took over all of the like real world side of it. And she runs most of that and I still help out some on the marketing side. We're actually opening a cafe for that in Austin in the next month or two. So that really kind of like spun out into its own super cool thing yeah so most of my time goes to growth machine but i'm actually sitting in the empty unit next to what will be the cup and leaf cafe right now (laughs) because we're we're over here we have like our final fire inspection tomorrow and final health inspection next week so we're over here and she's getting some last minute stuff done on the place for when those guys get in. It's an adventure doing stuff in the real world after being used to doing everything online. It's a, it's a very different beast.
1: Yeah, I love the combination there of digital and now you're getting into the physical world but you're kind of spinning off one company and then the other one's spinning off a physical version of itself. So it's, it's all very uh, fun, I would guess, hopefully profitable too at the same time. You said you're, you're in Austin now, are you born and raised there, Nat? Nope, I was born and raised in the DC
0: area And then I moved to Austin for the first time right after college and lived here for about a year and then left for two and a half years and then moved back here fall 2018. I tried SF, New York, some other areas around the U.S. and Austin's just my favorite. It's a really special city.
1: Yeah, I've yet to visit, but uh, it seems like every entrepreneur I know is heading in that direction after they've tried San Francisco. So yeah,
0: (laughs) well, it's just like you see your income tax returns and what you're paying for housing for a couple of years, and then you you look at Austin and the cost of living is half, and there's no state income tax, and you know, you're it gets harder and harder to justify living in a uh, 400 square foot studio in Manhattan when you could you know have like a two bed, two bath down here in the heart of the city.
1: So yeah, nice. No, I definitely want to visit soon. A bit scared of the summer heat though that seems like a very hot place in summer. But uh, Luckily, everyone's good at air conditioning. Yes, <laughs> so run from building to building. <laughs> so yeah, growing up back in D.C., were you influenced from any kind of angle to become an entrepreneur? Were there parents or aunts and uncles or anyone in the family who was doing their own thing, or were you kind of guided towards some kind of career, even a political career, given it's D.C.? Uh, what was your influence?
0: Yeah, I you know nobody in my family was really entrepreneurial. You know, some of them in small ways, but certainly not, you know, like earlier on in their lives. You know, both my parents are lawyers. They both grew up from super modest Midwest families and then went to law school and moved out to the coast and you know really grew their law career there. And there wasn't really anything in in school or even I don't really have any memories as a kid of being very entrepreneurial. I feel like if there's anything, you know, from my youth that is related to kind of eventually going in the entrepreneurial direction. It was uh, kind of an obsession with video games of all things where, you know, I was much less interested in school and in, you know, going in and getting good grades and playing that game. I was much more interested in like trying to beat these games and figure out how the system worked and, you know, how to be the best at it. I sort of make the joke that like, you know, all of the time spent doing resource management in like SimCity and stuff like that when I was in, you know, elementary, and middle school, and high school, like all of that actually translated super well to running businesses later. But no, there was really oh, basically nothing growing up that okay. pushed me in that direction.
1: SimCity, were there any other games that you were playing?
0: StarCraft, lots of StarCraft, lots of uh, SimCity, StarCraft, Dota. I think StarCraft's probably the best because it's like fast or best example of developing some of those skills because it's very fast moving. It's very about resource management optimization. And there's such a strong network of streamers and professionals who like show what they're doing that you can learn how to self educate via what other people are doing, which is an incredibly important skill if you're going to take a non traditional career route because you have to be able to like learn things on your own by either emulating others or reading and learning how to do that through video games was actually extremely valuable, I think, for later being better at absorbing other people's skills. Mm-hmm.
1: I can imagine there's, there's some kids who listening to this thinking, I could talk to my parents and justify playing video games, you know, as <laughs> I a pa- so. you know, it's it's a career path. I'm gonna start a business and and this is me getting ready to do that. And you would not be the first kid who have said that to their parents to try and convince yeah. them to let them play video games. But let's face it, most kids will not go on to start a business or make a career, even though it's an option nowadays, to play professional gaming. What about you? Were you encouraged to become a lawyer, like follow in the parents' footsteps or at least find a career after going to university? Or were you kind of allowed to practice and experiment and do whatever you wanted?
0: No, you know, they they never really pushed me towards law. I think, you know, if anything, they pushed me away from it, because the thing they would always say is that they were lucky in that they both really ended up enjoying their careers. But going to law school is this massive gamble, because you're, you know, you've graduated, and then you're going to take on another hundred hundred fifty thousand dollars $150,000 in debt. And then when you graduate, the only job you're qualified for is to be a lawyer. So if you don't like being a lawyer, you're pretty screwed because now you've got all this college debt, and you've niched yourself into this really narrow area that you really can't try doing before you get qualified to do it. So it's like a massive career gamble to go to uh, law school. And they, you know, they they had so many friends or acquaintances in their work who were very unhappy being there and who felt stuck there. And so they always said, you know, they didn't even have to say it. It was just very clear. They didn't expect me to do that. You know, they did expect me to be a good student and probably to, you know, get a normal job post-grad. But I was fortunate in that, you know, I started down this path kind of early and had a lot of time to, you know, work with them and like kind of figure that out so that by the time I graduated, they had gotten pretty comfortable with me, you know, going kind of a, an odder path than they expected. And then when I got like fired from my first job out of college after nine months, which is the last job I ever had, you know, that was obviously scary to them, but then, you know, eventually they came around from that too. So it was kind of this like long process of gradually getting used to things, but it was also, you know, in some ways really good because I think the best example of this is I got really interested in entrepreneurship in college and started a company my my junior fall. And I got this opportunity to go through a startup accelerator in Pittsburgh to work on the company, but it meant that, you know, I should probably take time off school to do it. And, you know, they didn't love that idea, I think because they knew that there was a very low chance I would ever go back to college. Once I stopped, they knew how much I didn't like it. And so, you know, they they really pushed me to try to find a way to do college and the startup accelerator. And there's really no way that was going to happen. But I did end up kind of convincing the college to give me free credit for doing the Startup Accelerator. And so even though I took a year off of school, I got almost a full semester's worth of credits just from like freebies from the entrepreneurship department and stuff for doing what I was already doing on the startup. And that's that's like the main reason I actually ended up getting a degree, I think. If I hadn't been able to finagle that, it wouldn't happen. So wow. Wow. in some ways, getting that pushback was good because it forced me to be more creative in how I figured this stuff out. But after you know, a few years of me just diverting further and further from the normal career path, I think they, they just sort of accepted that oh, he'll, he'll figure it out eventually, even if it doesn't make sense to us now. And
1: uh, yeah, it's been, it's been good. So what is, what's the uh, business you took into the Accelerator, and, and what is that Accelerator?
0: Yeah, so the accelerator is called Alpha Lab, which is I think it's sort of like the number one startup accelerator in Pittsburgh. And you know, I was fortunate in that I went to a school in Pittsburgh called Carnegie Mellon, which uh, has a very good like computer science and tech program. And I wasn't studying that at all; I was a philosophy major. But you. Just sort of like by being at Carnegie Mellon, people assume you know how to do stuff with computers, which I didn't and still don't really know much about how to do, but you kind of get the benefit of the doubt. And so I I started this tech company with a few other people I met at a startup weekend actually doing, the idea was like Pandora for clothes shopping. So doing algorithmic clothing recommendations based on past preferences, which it's not a terrible idea honestly and Amazon has actually rolled out something fairly similar since then but we were completely unable to do what we needed to do to make it happen. We didn't have the technical chops, we didn't have the marketing chops, I didn't have the business chops, you know, we really had no idea what we were doing and despite that we kind of raised money on pedigree and good public speaking skills I'd say and we raised basically 25,000 when we got into that accelerator. And then we got basically a hundred thousand dollars in follow-on funding into fifty thousand dollar tranches. And after a year of working on this thing, it was just so like I'd kind of woken up to the fact that one, I had no idea that I was what I was doing, and two, everybody who was telling me I knew what I was doing, they had no idea what they were doing either. And so I was kind of like <laughs> stuck in this weird, uh, uh, what's the term? E- echo like, chamber. Yeah, echo chamber. Exactly where you know I was kind of like high on my own imagined like competency and once that kind of came clattering down it was like, wow, I need to sh- like shut this thing down and actually develop some skills and so that was you know I started at my junior fall of college and closed at my senior fall of college went back and did like a you know, super blitz, you know, let's just pack in as many credits as possible to get the piece of paper and then uh, try to learn marketing at the same time and go from there.
1: Yeah, so take me forward. So you graduated, I assume, with a a major in, in was it philosophy were you doing? And then yep. meanwhile, you had credits for a startup that you went through with an accelerator and you're studying marketing. So you're obviously still leaning towards business, but what was your mindset after graduation? Another business, trying to make this business work, become a philosopher? What were you thinking of doing
0: yeah. Well, so I I actually wasn't studying any business stuff in school. Part of the reason I took the philosophy degree was it had the fewest major requirements of almost any degree at the school. You know, I was very interested in philosophy, but it also, there were only like 11 classes you had to take over four years. And then you could take basically whatever else you wanted, which was awesome because, you know, I wasn't locked into a certain track of study. I could take writing classes and I could take, you know, a class on Shakespeare. And I took a few psychology classes and I took like a human computer interaction class and all this other stuff, which was great. And it meant that, when we, I, I kind of worked with my philosophy advisor my senior spring to basically make up a directed study to give me a class and a half worth of credits. Because if we didn't do that, I wasn't going to graduate. There was no time to get in another course. And so he was really cool about it where he basically worked with me to, you know, quasi-fabricate this extra class just so I could graduate. And so that was a big benefit of being in the program. I was learning marketing on the side.
1: You sound like a university hacker, Nat. You know, like you, can, you, know, you <laughs>
0: yeah, I you know I, I give a lot of credit to the philosophy department at CMU because there were only like five philosophy majors and out of a school of sixty five hundred or seven thousand students, right? And it was clear that I was very interested in the subject, but also that I wasn't interested in being a good student. and I think they got that, and they were happy to work with me on it. And if I hadn't had that buy-in and support from them, there's no way any of that would have worked out as well as it did.
1: So. But you must have been thinking I gotta make some money upon graduation. So so what happened? Yeah. So I
0: shut that company down senior fall and I said, okay, I'm definitely not gonna go into consulting or finance or the things most of my peers are going into. I wanna go, I wanna learn marketing and I wanna work on marketing at a startup or something. So I started a blog because I figured, all right, I know a touch about content marketing. I'm a good writer from doing all these philosophy classes. If I start a blog and I start writing on it I can use those articles as kind of proof of work that I have some competency writing blog content and then maybe I can get some freelance writing gigs. So I wrote a few articles on my personal blog that I you know started that senior fall and once I had a few up there I started pitching sites with really good blogs to give me a few freelance gigs and I don't know what I was thinking, but the first two companies I pitched were Buffer and Zapier. And those are like two of the best, you know, startup-y blogs online in terms of using blogs and content as an acquisition strategy, right? They're really, really great. And Buffer said no, but Zapier actually said yes, which was huge because I kind of like jumped straight to being able to freelance right for what was in my opinion and still is in my opinion one of the best blogs that a, a, like a digital company has. So I started writing a few freelance articles for them and they were giving me a lot of great feedback on it and I was getting better. And then Zapier actually launched an internship because they wanted to, you know, take on a couple of college students and help them learn marketing. And, you know, I said, Hey, I'm, I'm actually in college. I don't know if we ever talked about that, but I'd love to do this internship if it's a fit and ended up getting it. I uh, got to go out to SF and hang out with the founders for a week and then work with their head of marketing for my whole spring semester to basically learn everything that I could about content marketing, which was huge. It's like, there's almost no better experience you could give a college student to learn this stuff really quickly than to get a direct mentorship from one of the heads of marketing at a company like Zapier, right? It was an incredible learning experience.
1: Could you pass on maybe one or two of the the biggest takeaways you got from working on content on, on such growth startups?
0: I mean, the biggest thing was, I just remember... The basically when I started working for them, my first assignment was to write this article on it was something about productivity tools, and I wrote I wrote the first draft of it and I sent it to Danny, who was you know the head of the program and who I was working with, and you know I sent it to him and he, he didn't respond for a couple hours, and then you know he sends me a message in Slack and it, he basically said something like, okay, I'm going to give you some feedback, and I want you to understand that this is in the interest of you. Becoming as good as possible as you can get at this. And as soon as he said that, I knew it was like, oh God, here we, like, this is going to be really bad. And he, you know, absolutely destroyed the article in the best way possible, right? It was so much thoughtful line by line feedback and, you know, formatting and making things more like better chunked and all of this. And, you know, he took the time to give that incredibly detailed feedback on every single piece. And, you know, that was better than probably four or six years of, like, university writing class, just because it was such quick turnaround. It was so specific to me. It was very clear, like, what we were working towards, and... I think just like being able to be open to that kind of feedback and to find someone who will give you that, you know, direct and line by line and intensive feedback is, it's got to be the best thing you can do to mm-hmm. accelerate your learning for something like that. Uh, it was so huge.
1: Now, was it giving you SEO feedback, like you need a better title, or was it more creative writing feedback or, or both? Pretty much everything. I mean, it was sentence length. It was paragraph length.
0: It was how I was phrasing things. It was learning to be really mindful about how companies capitalize and space their names, right? It was thinking about keyword density, thinking about shoulder topics, thinking about how much interlinking you're doing within the content on the site, thinking about who you're externally linking to, trying to be mindful of selecting a diversity of companies and founders for using as examples in your content, just like the whole, you know, gamut and then you know obviously down to like comma usage, right? It, it was everything. Wow. So, it's funny cuz that in turn made me into An incredibly meticulous editor which has carried over super well into everything i've done since then since i've pretty much always been working in some form of content marketing Mm. since that yeah take us forward
1: i'm curious so you have this experience with buffer and zapier sounds like it's all content marketing related experience so you were getting a great training there like you said better than anything you got from university did that open your eyes to i might Become a, a content marketer for a startup? Or did you actually start thinking, no, it's time to start my own business?
0: Yeah. So there's actually one other thing going on alongside all of this that will help add more character to the story, which is when I shut down that company I've been working on, it was called Tailored Fit. When I shut it down, I got connected through the alumni network to another alumni of the accelerator, Justin. And he and I ended up starting a company called Programming for Marketers. So it wasn't really a company. It was like a, a, an email course into an info product. And we were basically teaching marketers basic programming skills. And you know, he knew a ton about marketing and a lot about stuff on the technical side. And I was sort of just helping out by like creating the email flows and writing up the first versions of the copy and you know, helping do some of the automations on the back end. And we were doing that alongside the work I was doing at Zapier. So while I was doing all the Zapier stuff, I was also working on this email course, paid course with Justin, and those two things combined kind of got me on the radar and got you know me connected with this guy Noah who ran a company in Austin called Sumo, and so I'm friends with Noah. Okay, yeah. So Noah and I got connected through the Zapier and the programming for marketers work, and then he ended up hiring me to come work on marketing for what was then Sumo Me, as now just called Sumo, basically mm-hmm. right after college. Sumo, yep.
1: Yeah. Noah Kagan, for those who are wondering, which Noah we're talking about? (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So that that was actually how it all ended up going into me doing the marketing right out of school, and I was I was very on the fence because on the one hand, Justin and I had this programming for marketers thing, and you know I could have kept working on that, and that was making a really you know it was a good amount of money where I could have just been living a good life on that and traveling and everything, or I could go take this job with Noah, and I. Hello, how how family friendly is this episode?
1: <laughs> well, no swearing if possible, but anything okay. else you could talk about. So.
0: Okay. So you can cut this if you want, but <laughs> I took like a really high dose of acid and just sat in my house for a day and tried to decide which direction I should like oh, yeah. take my life from there. Okay, you had a and Steve Jobs moment. Yeah. <laughs> and it was one of those things where it's like, all right, I can go travel and do that stuff anytime. Like this is a really cool opportunity to go learn from an awesome marketer. So I should go take the job with Noah and you know that was you know what brought me to Austin the first time and got to like take all of the content marketing type skills that I'd started building with Zapier and with you know work on my blog and programming for marketers and really get to apply that at Sumo and that was you know obviously another incredible learning opportunity
1: Take us forward I'm assuming this is all leading towards growth machine your current company so did you work with Noah and gain more skills is that right Yeah, so worked with Noah and I was primarily
0: doing content marketing. So I'd say like 70 ish percent of my work was around content and building out the whole Sumo blog machine. And that ended up becoming an incredible networking opportunity because it was super heavily focused on guest posting. So, like, my strategy was basically let's get the best article on every marketing topic under the sun from some of the best people in the industry. So I was just cold emailing these awesome marketers and saying, hey, I'm running content marketing for this site. We've got like a 300,000 person email list. If you write this awesome guest post with me, we'll promote it and your business to like 300,000 people. And so we got these incredible guest posts, like super detailed marketing articles. And it, it really, just, I think it made for this awesome blog that was growing like crazy. You know, when I when I started there, it was getting about 5,000 visitors a month. And nine months later, it was doing about 170,000. Mm-hmm. So it grew like wild. And we were getting all these awesome articles. And so I was getting to talk to all these cool marketers and getting to learn you know, a ton about content marketing, SEO, working with writers, email marketing, webinar marketing, all of it. And uh, kind of on the side in my free time, I was able to apply some of that knowledge back to my own site. So I had my personal blog going through all of this. And you know, I would write an article here and there, and then as I was learning more about the SEO side of things, I started applying that to my own site. And when it had started, you know, and it had started getting, you know, it had just been those articles to get me into Zapier, it was, you know, maybe like 10, 20 visitors a day. But as I started putting some of this SEO work behind it, it became, you know, 500, 1,000, 5,000 visitors a day. And that kind of made me go okay like there's you know possibly some real money here and you know i can actually start to monetize this so that started getting more interesting i started kind of leaning more in the direction of working on my own stuff you know i think that really led to kind of me and noah falling out on my work at sumo then he let me go and that kind of freed me up to just go do all of the
1: stuff since then now is that the nateliason.com site you're talking about, the one that you were working yes. on? Okay, so you were kind of doing content marketing for yourself, at the same time you're doing it with Noah and, and Sumo. And obviously, it's not competitive, but you're talking about similar topics, so you guys parted ways. Before we dive into the next part of your story, I'm already getting the sense here, Nat, that you were very effective at getting organic traffic. And I'm sure it's, it's going to play a big part in both the main businesses you've got coming up in the story. But I wouldn't mind just stopping at this point and asking you, of everything you learned at this phase, what actually—and take it forward today as well. I don't want to know what just worked back then, but you know, taking it forward to today, what of all this experience that you had, did you learn that actually works in content marketing? Like, is it about just the length, like just being consistent and writing huge, in-depth pieces of content, or is there something you think that's more important?
0: Yeah, it's you know, this is such a boring answer. And it's the one that's very, I think, disappointing for people to hear because they want to hear that there are like tricks of the trade and like secrets that they don't know. But it's really, I would say like eighty percent of success in content marketing, especially, and also to an extent SEO is just creating a really, really good article. Like the amount of time that would go into every piece at Zapier and every piece at Sumo it was just like you know this huge investment for each article and you know they would you didn't need to make it super long but you needed to make it as long as it needed to be to fully answer someone's question so that they don't go back to google looking for more answers that's like the easiest guiding question i think for almost any piece of content you write for seo like if you can answer their search query in 600 words then yeah great it'll rank but if you're trying to rank for you know, best email marketing tool or how to be more productive at work. Like, those are going to be long articles. They need to be super detailed, to be full of images and examples and, like, really well-cited. You've really got to put in the work. And I would say... 95% of the time, you know, jumping forward to today with Growth Machine, when we look at a site and they've got a blog but it's not doing anything, it's because the articles just aren't very good, right? Like, they paid somebody on Upwork or, you know, a college graduate to do little, like, 600, 800-word articles that just skirt over the topic, and it's never enough, right? The reason that content works so well at Zapier and at Sumo and on my own site and, you know, on a lot of the sites I've worked on since then is just you know, creating really good articles that fully satisfy what a searcher is looking for. That's Kind of the it's kind of boring, but that's yeah, the
1: main no, thing. It's a fair answer. I remember back when I was growing my blog during the early days, I much preferred to sit down and spend a week, you know, writing what could be a five thousand word article than put a, a one day session of writing one thousand words. But it was interesting because back then there was competing advice between frequency versus depth. Because back then, you know, and even today I guess, depending on your your content format, if you're more news oriented, frequency is is more important. But Thank God in my case, going deep allowed for longevity as well, because one really good piece of content can serve you for years at a time where lots of news posts only have value for, for short periods of time. But I'd really like to keep this track going. So take us yeah. forward. So you let go your part ways with Noah, but you've got your own site. What was your, your next step?
0: All right, so this is part two of the "How family friendly does this episode need to be?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> is this where you become
1: a gangster, or you killed people. What's going on not here? Quite, not? <laughs> not quite,
0: not quite. But uh, towards the end of my time at Sumo, I realized that there was basically no good blog online talking about like sexual health advice for men in a non-douchey, like straightforward way. Uh, everything that was on Men's Health and like Men's Health or what are some of the other ones? Like the, and then obviously all the like penis pill sites and stuff like that, mm. right? It's really terribly written. It's super kind of like, I don't know, like sketchy. It makes you feel yucky reading it, right? You're just like, oh, like, how is this? How is this ranking for these terms? And so I kind of said, all right, screw it. I'm just going to write about some of this stuff on my site. And let's see what happens. So
1: that must have been a left turn to the topics you were writing about on your site prior to that.
0: Oh yeah, it was. And you know, obviously, you've got like family and friends messaging you, being like, "Yo, what the hell are you thinking? Like, <laughs> why, why are you publishing a, a four thousand word article on how to last longer in bed on your personal site?" Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and those are all fair questions, but you know, I I think I kind of it ended up being a good decision because first, I mean, the the articles when they were published. Basically went viral on Reddit, got like fifty thousand views in the first thirty-ish hours or whatnot. Insane amount of traffic to the site. In one case, one of them like ranked on Google News because it was getting so much traffic in the first day or so. And what was that topic? The second one was how to orgasm without ejaculating. That one went just like completely nuts because it's something that's like discussed a lot in like older Eastern texts and like tantra and stuff like that, but is very unknown to a Western audience. And the couple of resources that are out there on it, again, are like super terribly written and either sound way too woo-woo spiritual or sound, again, super like Frap road douchey. There's nothing in between. So it completely blew up. And that was sort of what took my personal site from you know, maybe 800 to 1,000 visitors a day to 10,000 plus visitors a day. And I was getting all of this traffic to these articles And in the context of the articles, one topic I touched on a lot was like men doing Kegel exercises, right? To sort of strengthen the pelvic floor, it helps a lot with like longevity in bed and all of that. And I was sending readers of the articles to this app on the App Store that was targeted at women for helping them practice doing Kegel exercises. And so I could see how many clicks were going to the App Store every day and, you know, I was thinking, like, okay, this is, this is sending, like, hundreds of clicks a day, and she's charging 2 or $3 for the app. She's going to be making a few hundred dollars a day off the traffic that I'm sending her. You know, what if I just got my own app made and replaced all the links to hers with a link to mine? So that was what I did. I found a, an Apple developer, and we worked together and got the app built and launched it. And, you know, we launched that in spring 2016, so it's been out for three and a half years, and basically every month since then it's netted anywhere from like two to seven thousand dollars a month just from like the organic traffic going from those articles to the app store and then people downloading the app and it's almost always in like the top 100 paid apps in health and fitness it was just like it was this incredible funnel where people were showing up and reading the articles getting the information and then there'd be a call to action to go download the app they go to the app store, they buy the app, and then they use it. And it's got like 400-something five-star reviews. right? Like People really like it. It's a great tool. What's it called? Stamina, spelled with an E. So like men's stamina. Yeah, not the best name,
1: but it works. <laughs> it's, it's very descriptive.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it's funny that Apple puts it in their top charts because it's very clearly like the the byline or the the subheading says like longer lasting sex for men. Yeah.
1: That's uh, so not their usual they don't usually allow sex related apps. So that's yeah. that's uh wow. And so that's two to seven thousand dollars in your pocket. You might have been able to just grow or live off that income going forward, no?
0: Yeah. And that's basically what I did. I said, okay, well this is awesome. Like it's completely passive, takes almost no work on my hands anymore as long as I keep, you know, my site alive. And so I left Austin. I lived in Paris, lived in the D.C. area, lived in Argentina, lived in SF, like just moved around for a you year in a half. Yeah, I, I did the nomad thing for a while, which was awesome. And, you know, it was super, super fun to get that freedom. But, you know, all good things come to an end and making three to four thousand a month living in Argentina is awesome making 3 to 4000 a month living in downtown San Francisco is not awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so once I got there it was kind of like all right, I need to you know figure something else out to kind of get my income
1: up a bit more. So this is recent then you must be like 2017 ish. No,
0: this is spring Actually, yes, you're right. It's spring 2017.
1: That's when you kind I of, moved to SF for a little bit. Okay, so you've, you've so just to put this in summary, you've you kind of had a career in content marketing, whether starting as an intern working Buffer, Zapier, then with Noah at Absumo or whatever you want to call it at the time, and then going to town with your own personal blog, which turned into a tool for getting organic traffic, and eventually selling an app, becoming a digital nomad, traveling around. So you you had a, a lot of experiences, and you yet to really start. What you would call a company. I mean, I guess you could call your blog a company yeah. selling a product, but it's really a lifestyle business. And also, you know, it was a, a tool for funding a digital nomad lifestyle, but it didn't feel like you wanted to go all in and, you know, create more or make that app better, increase, uh, get into that niche, go deep into the, the sexual stamina niche for men. Maybe that wasn't your interest area. I'm not sure. Um, so, no. <laughs> tell, so, you, so you land in, in San Fran. Taking a lot of boxes, you know, especially for a young guy. You, you you obviously did a lot of things. Everyone likes to do travel, make passive income. It's all good, no complaints there. But you must be thinking, okay, yeah. what do I want to do next? Is that so? Did you did you do more acid to figure that one out, or you <laughs> have another?
0: <laughs> Not this time.
1: Okay. I mean, this was easier because you know I got to SF,
0: and you know I've been working on you know continuing to work on my site and everything, and then I got to SF, and it was just like, oh wow, you know I can't live off of the passive income here. This is really just not working. And then, you know, so I had kind of that realization. And so I started looking at other projects and then uh, my site got hacked. So this was a really scary moment because I was at an alumni weekend with some friends and then I get a text from somebody saying, hey, I just tried to go to a link on your site and it redirected me to malware download for Android. And that's obviously not something you ever want to hear. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, run back to where I was staying and get on my computer and check my site. And sure enough, all of the URLs are redirecting to malware downloads. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, contact my hosting company and say, Hey, what's going on? Hi. And they say, Yeah, your site's infected with malware. We're taking all of your sites down and locking your server. And you have to pay us something like two or three thousand dollars to go in and clear it out for you so that you can have your sites back. And are you sponsored by Bluehost by any chance?
1: <laughs> no.
0: Okay, good. Cuz it was Bluehost and they were just terrible about it, right? They gave me no chance to have somebody who I'd worked with go in and clear it out. The whole thing was very sketchy and they just, you know, shut everything down. So, you know, as soon as that happened, all of my income went to zero immediately. And I ended up having a friend who ran his own hosting company sort of like quasi-hack into my server at Bluehost and extract my personal site and rehost it on his server. But I lost all the other sites I had at Bluehost. They were just basically incinerated. And so we managed to save my site, but my traffic dropped you know, 50%, and so my income dropped 50%. And it wasn't clear that I was coming back. And so I was like, all right, I just moved to the most expensive place in the world, and I just lost half my income. Like, this is bad Ouch. Yeah, Yeah. it was bad timing. But around the same time, I ended up getting kind of interest from people with helping them with their like content and SEO stuff. So I ended up working with three companies in San Francisco. So one was uh, Patreon, like the Mm. sort of crowdfunding for artists platform. One was a health tech company called Spire. And one was the bone broth company, Kettle and Fire. Mm. And so Kettle and Fire was founded by Justin Mares, who's the same guy that I did programming for marketers with back in college. And so it was like this crazy circling back thing where it was like, okay, we worked on that and now we can like do some of this work together. And so I consulted with those three companies on standing up their own like content and SEO
1: systems in-house what do you teach that? I mean, I, I can tell it's obviously coming through in all the stories you're, you're telling that, you know, create long, deep articles. But when you step into consulting for a bone broth company or a, a crowdfunding for artist platform, what do you tell them to do?
0: Well, so this was actually the challenge, and it's why I eventually stopped doing the consulting was... In most cases, I was going in and telling somebody who already had a job how to, like, add content marketing into their responsibilities. So it was like, you know, here's a good cadence, here's a checklist for articles, here's how you want to promote it, here's when you want to publish, here's how you pick topics to go after. Like, creating all of that process. And... In Spire and Patreon's case, honestly, like, I don't think I did a very good job because as soon as I stepped out of the system, it kind of stopped or it fell off, right? I didn't give them enough of the, like, knowledge to continue to do it on their own. And, you know, I didn't help them set up a way for it to continue to run really well without me being there to push it along. Mm. And so with them, it's like I helped stand it up and then it kind of just fell by the way wayside but then in the kettle and fire case they actually hired someone to take it over and so i was able to like train her and work with her and you know help select writers and you know help create all the internal checklists and stuff and then for them it worked out extremely well because they had somebody to actually continue to implement it and that ended up being kind of a big wake-up call where it was where you know where i said okay like i can't just go in and teach people how to do this and expect it to work, it's gonna go a lot better if we can just do everything for them, right? If we can just like fully manage, like all of your content and your SEO is just done for you, you don't have to think about it at all, and that's where Growth Machine came from.
1: Okay, so after these consulting roles, the genesis for this agency was was born. Yeah,
0: it was sort of realizing that most companies don't have the resources to do it internally, they're not gonna hire in the near term, they want somebody to just handle it all for them and so that's what we started doing.
1: Okay, so take us forward with that idea. So, are you thinking the next person who comes along as a possible consulting client, you're going to say to them, you know, my fee is X amount of dollars and we're going to do it all for you. We're going to write the articles, we're going to, you know, build the whole system to produce content to get traffic to your site. And then you pitch them a, a, like a package price, or how, does, how do you set up an agency like that? Yeah. I mean, that's
0: almost exactly it is I had a couple more people. So I spun down those consulting projects. My then girlfriend, now wife and I took like a two month ish backpacking trip through Asia and then went back to New York city and were moved in there. And then a couple companies reached out about getting help with their content. And that's basically what I told them as I said, yeah, you know, I can help you. But instead of, you know, basically I said, you know, instead of you paying me 6,000 a month to teach you how to do it, you pay me 6000 a month and that's going to include everything being done for you so you don't have to worry about it at all we're going to like write the articles we're going to publish them on the site we're going to promote them we're going to track everything we're going to report on how it's going we're going to help you optimize around conversion goals like all of it and those were pretty easy sells and we've increased our prices since then but you know it, i think that that whole done for you system was just much more attractive than coming in and like adding a layer of work that they would have to do themselves. Mm -hmm.
1: Tell me a little bit about the results you then got for these first few clients, because I can imagine, unlike, say, pay-per-click marketing, where you turn on a faucet of of audience, you're doing something that's much slower. It's organic, it relies on link building and and ranking well in Google. So how do you manage expectations for a new client coming on board with, with Growth Machine?
0: Yeah, that's always a big challenge because obviously people want fast results, but SEO, you know, you're looking at like six to twelve months to be near ROI positive. So people have to be willing to wait a while <laughs> for the results to kick yeah. in, and and when and, they do, it can be incredibly profitable. But it takes a while to get there, right? It's it's slow.
1: And it could be a hundred thousand dollars paid to you without a result necessarily. Well,
0: yeah, and th- that's sort of what I have to say a lot of the times when people are on the fence about making the investment is, and I'll say this, I'll be like, look, you know, you're, if you would be devastated about investing $50,000 in this experiment and getting no results, like you shouldn't do it because it's like, we can't control Google. We can do our best and, you know, we can give the best strategy and like we do have a great track record, but things don't work sometimes, right? Like it's not guaranteed. So you kind of have to be willing to risk that with SEO for the potential high payoff of getting free traffic when you would otherwise have to pay two, three, four dollars a click. So the biggest thing for us is we don't try to convince anyone that they need SEO. We are there for the people who want SEO and who know that it's going to take a bit and who know that good writing is expensive. And the biggest red flags for me in the sales process are if somebody thinks that, you know they can just pay fifty dollars an article or if they think we should be getting results in two to three months, like they're probably just going to be a terrible client to work with, and we don 't want to work with them. We just have to be really selective in who we take on.
1: Tell me how it looks today for a client who who does work with growth machine do you because and i 'm curious on both sides of the fence how you deliver and what you deliver, and like what is the goal in terms of okay we 're going to publish one in depth ten thousand word article a week maybe or a month i'm not sure what your schedule is and then we're going to do these x outreach activities to circulate this article and try and get some sort of traction maybe a bit of viral distribution at least some incoming links social shares and i'm also curious like multimedia are you making a youtube version are you making audio versions are you using you know multiple platforms what is what is a strategy for a company who works with growth machine look like
0: yeah, well, most of them are composed of a few pieces, right? The, the number one question is, does this site already have a good content arm in place, or are we starting it from scratch? If they already have a good content arm, then the main thing that we start with is, optimizing their existing content because in many cases they've been publishing for a while but it's not super well done from an SEO perspective and so we can go back in and expand rewrite update enhance the articles that they've already written and republish them and you know we might like double their traffic in 6 months right if they haven't done that in a while because that's an incredibly fast high ROI thing to do for getting more search traffic but if they Don't already have sort of a content marketing strategy in place, and we're kind of starting from scratch. Then we're doing some combination of, you know, maybe eight to twenty articles a month, and possibly link building, depending on what their like domain authority is when we start working with them. So we start by doing some research, and we do this during the sales process, right? We we do some research, and we say, hey, you know, here's all the topics that look like great opportunities for you. Here's you know what we think your customers are searching for and what we think you should be front page Google for. And then from that, we can say, all right, there are, you know, maybe there are only like 40 or 50 topics there. And in that case, we might just do a smaller fixed price project to go after those 40, 50 terms in 40, 50 pages over, I don't know, three, four months. Or we might do that research and we can say like, hey, there are a thousand terms here and we're not even done looking. So we're going to take the highest opportunity ones and we're going to do 12 articles a month, and we're going to do it for six months. And we're going to do some link building on top of that. And we're going to be tracking all the stats and, you know, ranking gains and traffic gains and everything. And we're going to keep updating the list as we're going, especially based on conversion success of different pages. And, you know, from that, we can keep adjusting as we go. So a lot of it depends on the size of the opportunity in their space, because if they're, you know, a fairly niche product with maybe just 20, 25 terms, You know, it might be like a shorter project, might be more heavy on the link building so that they can get those big head terms. Or if it's a site like, you know, Cup and Leaf, the tea company, there's hundreds of tea related search terms to write about. And we've written about most of them at this point. But that would be like a much more ongoing project, right? Because there's just so much that we can do there.
1: Right. Never ending tea category. Seriously. Um, So it's been a while since I spoke to someone who's in the trenches of, of SEO and content marketing on a regular basis for so many different markets. You're the perfect person for me to ask this question. What do you use today in terms of tools? Like, What is the best keyword research tool and how are you finding these you know, topics and then deciding which are the first 10 articles to write about?
0: Yeah, so main tools that we use and really like are AREFs, SEMrush, I think those are the two super obvious ones. Google Analytics, obviously, and Google Search Console, those kind of go without saying. And then there's other things that we use internally to kind of like augment that For the content writing process, we really like ClearScope and Grammarly. They're just awesome. For the technical SEO side, there's tools like Website Auditor and Screaming Frog and things that we look at. There's a bunch of other tools we use on the link building side, but I don't even, I mean, this is the thing is we're at the size now where I don't actually work on any of the client projects. So I'm not even the best Mm. person to ask this anymore. I just see, you know, notes from the different tools that they're using, and it's funny because I'm not even the SEO expert on the team anymore, right? (laughs) Like, yeah, now we've got
1: people who know so much more about it than I do. I'm pretty sure you can answer this one though. Like when I was first learning SEO and implementing it my own business, and I feel like it hasn't changed, but there's always been that balance between the domain authority you have, which is based on you know longevity and incoming links. Then there's the phrases you're going for, so that how competitive they are, and then just the natural volume of of people looking for those phrases too. So kind of like finding the the spot where you can be authoritative enough to rank for a term, and there's enough traffic for that term that it's worth your while going after it. Is it still pretty much the same story? Like you're trying to find that like you don't want to go against the top categories, but you can go after some long tail phrases you can get enough domain authority from link building to rank one or two for those phrases and they're they may not, you know, individually blow your your traffic counter up but when you get 10, 20, 30, 40 of these starting to work that's when you're starting to get thousands of visitors a day to your content. Is that still all pretty accurate? That's still
0: pretty much it. <laughs> it's like it, you know it, it sounds deceptively simple and in many ways it is. The hard part, honestly the hardest parts about what we do are the creating really good articles to go after those topics on a consistent schedule. I think people get super excited about the keyword research and the like, you know, link research, but honestly, you could teach most people that in a couple of days doing the research side of it. Teaching somebody how to write really good content or teaching an editor how to edit content really well and effectively and be able to put out 30-plus articles a week. Like Those are the hard things. That's where it gets really challenging. And a lot of the sites that we see fail at SEO. It's not because they had bad keyword research. It's because they didn't create good articles on a consistent schedule because that's really where things get
1: challenging. Mm, interesting. So take us far as with growth machines. So you begin offering this service at 6000 a month and you said your prices have gone up. Scaling a service oriented business like this is challenging. I'm right in the middle of doing it now with my own company, Inbox Done. And we have this juggle we make between how do we keep our profit margin and use it for growth, but we can't, like, we're bootstrapping as well. So it's like you have to carefully pick and choose how you market, spend that money, and how you hire more people, how much you charge your clients. How did you find that with growing Growth Machine?
0: Yeah, you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this way of doing it, but it's what worked for us, which is we basically just hire behind our sanity, might be the way to put it. So once somebody on the team comes to me, or, you know, once I realize somebody on the team is just like completely overwhelmed, then we hire someone. And that creates this I would say like kind of like sign curve of we get more profitable because we're overworking ourselves. So then we hire to, you know, expand that bottleneck so we're not overworked, but then we're less profitable and then we get more business and we get more profitable, but you know, somebody else is getting overworked so we need to hire to you know free them up right so it's kind of like just playing within that gray area of making sure people don't get too overworked where you know they're like working crazy hours and are super upset but also making sure you don't hire too quickly and make yourself super unprofitable and go out of business it's a delicate balance and you know we haven't always done it perfectly but it's worked pretty well i mean when we started it was just me full-time and a few freelancers. And then once we got to three or four clients, it was really clear that I couldn't be doing so much stuff anymore. And so I hired, you know, who I then thought would just be like a kind of content marketing project manager, but she ended up like taking over a lot of the operations for the business. And she's now the, like the chief operating officer of the company. And she and I have just been working on it together along with, you know, now we've got 11 full-time people, but, you know, she kind of came in and took every, a lot of it on from the beginning. And then it's funny because like in the beginning I was doing the keyword research, the technical audits and the editing and the publishing and even some of the writing. But now, you know, we've got a dedicated research person. We've got a dedicated client account manager. We've got four dedicated editors. We've got like two dedicated SEO people, right? It's like, we're doing all the same stuff. It's just more kind of fractioned out into people as you know different spots hit their bottlenecks so it's been a good way to hire and it's worked well but it doesn't work well for everything because mm-hmm. like we've been trying to hire for sales for seven months now and you know hired subsequently had to let go two people now where it's just like you know for some things where we know what we're doing like editing and seo research it works really well for things where we've never hired for it before and we don't really know what we're doing like sales it's really hard and it doesn't always work. So. We're still learning a lot about how to make that hiring work too.
1: In terms of growth, how are people finding you? It sounds like you know you've got a need for a sales team. You obviously have leads coming. Is it all word of mouth for Growth Machine? It's a combination. It's
0: word of mouth. It's podcast interviews. It's blog posts. It's articles that feature us. Things like that. You know, this again, it goes back to like me starting that personal blog in college freshman year. It's like I started writing about marketing stuff really early on. I've got four-year-old marketing articles that are still pretty good out there, and people find those and then they like Google my name or they, you know, go down the rabbit hole of some of my stuff, and then they land a growth machine, and then they're they think, oh wow, he can just do it for me. That's awesome. And that's been an incredible boon. You know, it's probably the best thing I ever did for my career and now entrepreneurial life was starting that blog and putting that content out because that's how most people find us. And that's how, you know, most podcast interviewees find me. That's how we get found for like article features and expert roundups and whatnot. Like it's such an incredible asset that you can't really put a price value on it. We get all of our, every single client we've taken on in the last two years and change has been inbound except for one that I did an outbound pitch to. And, you know, they've all found us through those kinds of channels.
1: Now, when does the T enter this story? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, so, ah, yes. <laughs> this is such a funny, it's like, I definitely don't recommend this as a way to start a business because it's a very slow way to do it. But if you're, like, doing something on the side and you've got some time and, you know, you like this model, it is a cool way to start a business because it's very de-risked. So basically, what happened was I started Growth Machine, and this is back in fall 2017, and we were getting leads from people who, you know, they couldn't afford a few thousand dollars a month to work with us, right? They were earlier stage, or it was, you know, someone's personal blog they wanted more traffic to. And so I said, okay, well, we should just make a course to sell to these people that so they can go do it themselves without having to hire us. So I basically holed myself up in a hotel room for four days and recorded a course on content marketing for Growth Machine. And to do the course, I needed an example company to do all of the keyword research and SEO work for, because I wanted something I could use as a tangible example instead of doing an abstract. I think having real examples helps a lot. So I invented a fictional tea company, and I said, okay, I'm gonna pretend that this tea company, Cup and Leaf, just hired me to do their SEO work, and I'm gonna go through what it would look like setting up an SEO process for them. And in the course of recording everything for the video course, I kind of realized that all of these keywords were pretty easy to compete on. They had very low difficulties. They had pretty high volumes. All the big players in the T-space didn't have good blogs. And that made me say, you know, hey, there's kind of an opportunity here to start a T-blog. Like, maybe we should do this. So I I went to one of the best freelance writers in Growth Machine. She's now a full-time employee because, you know, we loved working with her so much. And I said, hey, you know, can you just write... Like three articles a week about tea stuff. I'll give you the content plan. I created this quick site on Webflow and handed it off to her. And she was like, Yeah, sure, no problem. So she started publishing these articles about tea, you know, best green tea, health benefits of oolong tea, all of that. And, you know, within six months, we were getting like 50 to 60,000 visitors a month. And within eight months, we were doing. I think over 150,000 visitors a month. And a year later, we were doing over 300,000, right? So we were just getting an incredible amount of traffic to people looking for stuff about tea. And it was about four or five months into it that Cosette and I were like, we should just sell tea. (laughs) Like we're, we're sending all this traffic to Harney and Sons and Tea, Forte and whoever. We should just try selling our own tea. Like how hard can it be? And so we did some research and we found a broker and we figured out packaging and started getting some samples and tasting things. And, you know, sure enough, it wasn't that hard to get it going. And for a while we were like sending shipments out of our, you know, New York City studio <laughs> as mm-hmm. it was starting. And, you know, she took over more and more of that and was running all of the like online and distribution and setting up the logistics. We eventually, you know, got a warehouse, the 3PL and all that and, she actually left her full-time job two months ago to go full-time on Cup & Leaf now. So she's been really taking over and running all of it. But at the same time, you know, Growth Machine still works on some of the web stuff for it. And it's become this incredible case study because you know i was able to write a long form article saying here is exactly how we took a site from 0 to 150,000 organic visitors a month here's all the google analytics data here's all the google search console data here's all the keywords here's exactly what we did here's you know all the articles like we did a full transparency case study on it which almost no seo agency does right mm-hmm. like it's very hard to find a case study that is that straightforward and where there's really no hiding in it and that's been one of the biggest sources of leads for us ever since. It's like, sure, we've, you know, lost money on Cup & Leaf since its inception, especially with the cafe, but it's been like the best thing we ever did for lead generation and for like growing a growth machine as well as creating this other really cool business that we love working on, right? <laughs> like it's, right. it turned into such a cool thing. And now, you know, we're probably going to have this cafe open in the next month or so and it's going to be this cool spot for You know, us to work, obviously, but then other Austin entrepreneurs to come hang out in and then, you know, it'll be revenue generating as well, too. And then we get to learn about local marketing and local SEO and all this stuff that I haven't been able to play with yet. It's created this really cool symbiosis in an unexpected way.
1: First question, to get this course, No doubt everyone wants to go through that course. Is it just on growthmachine.com and click that free course link?
0: Yes, that's the free email course. It doesn't upsell you on the paid course anymore. So to be 100% honest with everyone listening, the paid course is outdated, which is why I don't promote it very much anymore. There is still good content in it and the strategy and everything still works. Some of the tool stuff is outdated, but the high-level techniques are still very good. So remind me after we finish recording this and I'll send you guys a discount code for it. Because again, we like don't really promote it anymore, but I think there is useful stuff in it. So if people want access to it, we can we can do a little discount okay. or something.
1: Does the free course you currently have mention the T business or is it because it looks yeah. like it is all about that, right? So Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. the free course is like a light version of the paid course. And the free course goes through a lot of stuff about how we did the T business as well. So that's a really good place to start. And okay. we end up getting a good number of clients from that too because people will go through it and honestly, like they'll go through it and then they'll go, Oh, this is a lot of work. Like, can you guys just do it for me? Mm. And then we say, Yeah, of course. Like, that's what we're here for.
1: I've just been, while you're talking, diving into uh, cupandleaf.com and, you know, checking out, like, you've got a, a fairly comprehensive shopping cart here. And even that side of your business, I can imagine, was quite a lot to set up like how much tea do you guys sell and you have a subscription service this, this is like a whole business in itself right and uh you had to learn i'm guessing was it drop shipping to buy wholesale tea and then e-commerce everything to go with it is that right yeah yeah it's grown a pretty decent amount over the
0: last year you know the biggest challenge is that nobody was working on it full-time until two months ago so with kosep being on it full-time now now it's really starting to move in a, a a better direction like growing more. It, it's smaller than growth machine. It did about $8500 last month. So, it's it's getting up there. And yeah, I mean, I think we've got like 60ish kinds of tea on there and then just launched some of those bundles and got all the hardware and things like that. So, mm. it's been really fun to to see that grow and especially to, you know, learn more about monetizing organic traffic because different clients do different things. And now we have this like playground to test different stuff on yep. for, you know, seeing how we can drive more of the organic traffic into the store. And that's been really useful too, because, you know, we get to experiment with things like quiz funnels and coupons versus like freebies and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, which we can then turn around to present to our clients to give them advice on what they could be doing with their blogs. Mm.
1: Yeah. I guess, like you said, you got a huge organic tr- source of traffic and even with say three hundred thousand visitors a month you have to figure out a way to profit that works because i don't know what the profit margins on TR, are but i can't imagine they're huge so you've got to kind of play around with things to to make money from all that traffic you're getting for free but if you weren't there focusing on that then you know it's, it's more a case study than an active business yeah and i will mention one thing
0: which a secret, but, and I, I hope it doesn't motivate too many people to go start their own tea companies, but the profit margins on tea are actually disgustingly good. Yeah. It's kind of like if you look at what Harney and Sons and them are charging, they're making about a 95% margin on like the loose leaf tea that they sell, at least. It's insane how marked up it is.
1: So, doesn't that make you want to just make Cup and Leaf uh, like a huge, the dominant player in e commerce for tea? Oh, yeah. No, oh, that's, I mean, that's sort of the long term goal.
0: I think between the dominant, you know, e commerce tea company as well as like dominant tea cafe, I actually feel very confident about the whole cafe play because a coffee shop doesn't work as well for creating a like post-work environment since you don't want to go like drink coffee after work but i think a tea cafe is a really nice happy hour alternative and people are moving more and more away from alcohol and looking for like social places to get together that are not alcohol focused and there's a lot of really fun mocktail type things you can do with like doing sparkling iced teas and different kinds of infusions and things that we like to play around with and so I think there's actually a really cool opportunity in the real world for this
1: as well. Mm. Just exciting. Yeah, I can imagine. Though it's in some ways, it's like you're starting another business at the same time—the physical version of uh, an e-commerce place. So it's oh like, yeah, and
0: dealing with permitting and construction and build out. Everything is stuff oh, gosh. I, <laughs> there's a reason that internet businesses are so nice and fun. I mean, we've had this place for nine months and we're not open yet, right? Like it's a process to get mm. this stuff going.
1: So. All but right. Okay. Well, I feel like we've probably hit the end of the story a bit here, Nat, but this is, we've covered all your businesses. I think we've yeah, really, we've gone through the whole journey from start to finish, or at least start to present. I'm not, it's not really finished as you're still going. Just, a, I guess, a last sort of question to wrap it up here. For, for those listening in, I feel like it, I don't want to make it sound too easy, but mm. you've definitely simplified, I think, for a lot of people, what good content marketing is. And I think the challenge is not learning how to do it. But the enormity of the task of implementing it consistently, because it does require in-depth articles, ticking a huge checklist of things like, like you, you know, we're talking about doing the outbound multimedia research, referencing all that that goes into a quality piece of content, and and I feel I'm sure you agree. That it's already a fairly saturated internet, which is only going to get more saturated as, you know, AI starts producing more content so that the bar is going to get higher and higher for what is considered good content and what will rank number one. So for someone who is looking to get into the game now, whether it's their career or their skills that they want to develop, or they have a startup and they want to use content marketing to grow an audience and, and, you know, sell what they're selling, how would you advise them to start the content marketing process right now?
0: I think the number one thing that I see people get wrong is that they think of it as a free marketing channel or an inexpensive one. But if you want to do it right, you need to be willing to invest in it, you know, at least a decent amount. And the biggest Place I see people make this mistake is they think that them or someone on their team can just, you know, write a couple articles a week in their free time and that'll like get things going. That pretty much never works because people have other obligations. They have things to do. They have more important tasks. The articles end up falling by the wayside and never getting done and it just sort of never actually gets rolling. The easiest thing to do if you want to get started is to find a good couple of freelance writers. I'd recommend hiring at least 2 because you need a couple of points of comparison who, you know, have written about stuff in your space before and, you know, give them some article topics to get started and just start publishing, right? You've probably got at least 20, 30, 40 article ideas for your space, and if you don't, we have a good article on the Growth Machine blog that's like how to come up with 100 keyword ideas in an hour, and that'll give you a good brainstorming framework for coming up with those article ideas. And you just, you know, come up with those ideas, give them to freelancer, a couple of freelance writers, and then whichever of the two or three that you start with is turning in really good work on time, I uh, pay them more and just work with them because finding a great writer who is timely is incredibly difficult and incredibly high value once you find them so you want to make them super happy and keep them work with you forever so if you just do that then you're going to be able to like get it rolling for cheaper than hiring a contract like seo person or hiring an agency like ours like that's a really good way to get started and to get some initial content going on your site without making like a massive investment but just don't assume that you or somebody else in your team is going to magically have the time to write three good articles a week because it's probably not going to happen
1: Okay, good advice to wrap it up with. Nat, where else do you want to send people to or, or what websites have you we mentioned that you know we want to get the addresses out for people? Yeah, let's see.
0: So Growth Machine is just growthmachine.com. Cup and Leaf is cupandleaf.com, all spelled out. And then my personal site is nateliason.com. N-A-T-E-L-I-A-S-O-N.com. And then I'm super active on Twitter. It's my only social media anymore. So, And that's just at nateliason. But yeah, if you listen to this and enjoy it, definitely send me any follow up questions there happy to answer them and yeah if you go through like the free course on growth machine about the whole cup and leaf case study let me know what you think of that too because i feel like we did a good job with that that's a good intro to like seo content marketing so i like hearing feedback on that as well
1: awesome thank you for going uh, deep into your background and really presenting the journey i think it's been it feels like a journey to get to cup and leaf and and growth machine as well so uh, it's interesting to hear The whole, the acid tripping, the men's sexual health, (laughs) you know, (laughs) some things I didn't see coming. Keeping it interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's for sure. So, and and good luck with the future of both your businesses, Nat. Thanks so much. Come uh, have some tea when you make it to Austin. I I definitely will be in Austin sometime soon. Too many people are out there I've got to go visit. So now I have a tea shop to come check out too. There you go. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you. Cheers.
0: Thanks for listening to Yarrow's podcast. For more episodes, visit yarrow.blog and subscribe on iTunes or Google.